0: Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teachers. All right. So... So good to be here with you all today. My name is Taylor. Um, For those of you who don't know me, um, I've been part of Encounter for a little while. And um, I'm so excited to bring the word for you today on a topic that I'm really passionate about. Um, It's actually something that, yeah, God's been kind of stirring in my heart over the last few years, um, just to yeah, ask the question, what does it mean to be a culturally engaged leader? So I'm really excited to to share that with with you guys today. So, thought to begin, did you guys want to hear about the craziest thing I have ever done? Yeah? Alright. So, when I was 20 years old, I travelled solo and lived for five months in Cambodia. Having already been there for a short trip, I thought I knew what I was doing. I sought all the right advice, booked the tickets, sorted my visa, sorted my visa. (laughs) Within a week of arriving, I realised that I had not, in fact, sorted my visa. I was very unsorted. Um, I'd entered the country on a one-month tourist visa, not a five-month volunteer visa. Enter panic. Now, the Cambodian staff were very gracious to me. I'm staying at the church and organised a bus trip to Vietnam to apply for a new visa, to leave the country and and come back. Now, I don't know if you've ever travelled by bus in Cambodia, but I can tell you it is something else. (laughs) Think travelling at speeds of over 150 kilometres an hour or more on a single lane road, dodging cars, trucks, potholes... Cows, tractors, pedestrians, you name it. And then periodically veering off into the incoming traffic, still at full speed and, you know, trying to overtake... Oh oh my goodness. Anyway, after somewhere between four and six hours of of white-knuckled adventures, we arrive at the Vietnam border. All seems well. We're all still alive. (laughs) Except for a bit of an issue. You see, the bus driver has my passport. And he isn't looking happy. We arrive at the Vietnam border. My travel buddy So Keng assures me it will be fine. So bye now, so bye now. But the bus driver guy was right. This immigration checkpoint does not accept Australian passports. And so we find ourselves, two girls at the Cambodia-Vietnam border, a place where I'd previously been told it's not safe to stay in a hotel overnight, trying to hitchhike our way home. So King hails a bus which happens to be full of Cambodian soldiers who'd just been training across the border in Vietnam. And so I find myself a tall, blonde, white girl who has been in Cambodia for all of five minutes, <laughs> standing up in the aisle of a bus of rowdy Cambodian soldiers as it travels full speed down the highway. And that was the moment that I realised that this was a whole nother kettle of fish. <laughs> and my fresh off the press risk assessment was not going to cut it. <laughs> Welcome to Campuchia, as they call it. Now, obviously, I'm still alive. Praise God. Um, <laughs> And there's more to that story, which I can fill you in on later. Um, But whether you call yourself a Jesus follower or not, I wonder whether there's a little something of my story which strikes a chord. Who here has, in the past three years, found themselves feeling disoriented, confused, overwhelmed, afraid, vulnerable? up the creek without a paddle as the world plunges from the familiar into the foreign and the currents of culture shift and change at an alarming rate. Welcome to 2023. The great 20th century missiologist Leslie Newbegin, after nearly 40 years ministering as a missionary in India, far gutsier than me, returned to England, where he was from in the 70s, and made some observations. Having been away for a while, he identified a shift in Western culture towards what he called a post-Christian culture. Now, to explain this simply, let me use a diagram, courtesy of Matt Gray. So just shout out to all my table buddies out there. Um, This diagram, developed by missiologist Frank Gray, is called the Gray Matrix. Gray identified Quadrant A, so the one down the bottom left, as the hardest-to-reach group for evangelists. So these are people who don't know anything about the Gospel and are close to or antagonistic towards it. However, what Newbegin suggested is that in the post-Christian West, we actually have a group that's even harder to reach than the group that Gray mentioned. The post-Christian West knows or thinks they know and that's the key part, what the gospel is, and what they think it is they've already dismissed, so they would belong to Quadrant D up the top. Newbegin would go on to describe contemporary Western culture as the most resistant culture to the gospel in history. So I wonder whether this is maybe naming for us, and I hope it is, some of the anxiety that we feel when it comes to sharing our faith. You know, as Christians, as Jesus followers today, we don't know whether we're going to get mocked, cancelled, fired, or arrested. You know, worst case scenario. Um, for, for talking about Jesus in, in our workplaces, in our communities, on social media. Um, and there's something to be said for tact and offending people for the right reasons and not the wrong ones, but even still, like, this is a tough moment to live in as followers of Jesus. So how in the world are we meant to deal with this? Try harder? Struggle longer? Work harder, longer hours? Or should we simply give up? Evangelism is too hard. The world has gone crazy. No one wants the gospel anymore. The days of revival are gone. No. Not if the resurrected Jesus I know has anything to do with it. So the people of God throughout history have faced some crazy times, but the unchanging word of God remains. So shall we dig into the word together? I'm reading from John chapter 15. Feel free to open your Bibles and join along. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Isn't that a good word? It's just, it's just living that, really. It's so good. So in this, we see there are four different actions going on. Pruning, producing, remaining, And burning and yet only one command is given remain remain in me which means all the others belong to God it's not our job you see I'm of the conviction that in the post-christian West what we most need isn't innovation it isn't information what we need is deeper intimacy intimacy with Jesus, what we need is to remain. Now, I've got three points today um, of what it means to remain in Jesus in post-Christian culture. The first one is to listen. So John Stott describes a culturally engaged leader as someone who has learned to listen. We're called to double listening, listening to both the word and the world, We listen to the Word, the Word of God, with humble reverence, anxious to understand it and resolve to believe and obey what we have come to understand. We listen to the world too with critical alertness, anxious to understand it as well and not resolve necessarily to believe and obey it but to sympathise with it and to seek grace to discover how the Gospel relates to it. Karl Barth put it this way, take your Bible, and take your newspaper, and read both, but interpret newspapers from your Bible. But in an age of information and social media, the world flies at us faster than the smell of yesterday's burning trash while riding a Cambodian (laughs) (laughs) tuk-tuk. The latest global crises and trends hit us in the face faster than we can update our risk assessments and contingency plans. In all of the overwhelm, or what does it mean to listen? Remain in me. With the dawn of the digital age, the Christian bubble of previous generations has well and truly popped. Mark Sayers warns, the danger in such an era is not that we colonise others with our Christianity, but that we ourselves become colonised by the world. In our cultural moment, the world's radio is on and the volume is blaring. The biggest struggle for us, I believe, is cultivating quiet and an ability to listen to God's word. The Bible repeatedly talks about the difference between hearing and listening, or in some cases, listening and understanding. To hear is a sensory experience. Sometimes involuntary. You can't choose always what things you hear. Perhaps you hear today and you're having to sit through what I'm talking about. (laughs) To listen involves a willingness. To listen is an active process. It's a choice to let something in, to let it feed us, to meditate on it. Listening is an act of the will and a choice. Now something that I personally am very sensitive to is words. I'm an auditory learner and so for me personally, I find that a very thin line exists between hearing something and having it loop around in my brain and if I let it then sink deep into my soul. Because of this, I'm really selective about the songs that I listen to, the movies that I watch, and the social media pages that I follow. Because I know that one minute I'll be dancing at my sister's wedding, and the next I'll have, Gimme, gimme, gimme a man after midnight stuck in my head for three days straight while I try to recover from a gastro. I have ABBA trauma friends. (laughs) Never going to be able to hear that song the same way again. Um, (laughs) In a digital age, Mark Sayers tells his church to win the day, win the day. This involves engaging in an intentional spiritual discipline, a choice, where beginning the day, we start without screens. Now, a few generations ago, this would have been like, completely natural but for us it's counterintuitive he says you want to win the day where you're set on what the holy spirit wants for you that day not what the algorithm facebook instagram tiktok whatever it is wants for you though it may seem small this act of resistance has cumulative effects over time by resisting the post-christian colonization that's blaring at us we position ourselves to listen cultivating quiet and making room for Jesus to speak. So friends, win the day. Second part of remaining, love. Now is anyone here really into gardening? (laughs) Can, Can you tell me what makes a plant grow? Brent? Water? Sunshine? Soil? Yep. A whole lot of things. So, growth takes nurture. It's a natural process, but it takes time, it takes attention, it takes being fed. In the same way, we grow in the vine, not through straining. The plant doesn't like, oh, I really want to grow another leaf today. Oh. I've never seen my plants do that. I probably don't look after them well enough, but... In the same way, we grow not through straining, but only through remaining. As we cultivate deeper intimacy with Jesus, we become more familiar with His voice. We gain the ability to tune into His voice above all of the noise and begin to see the world more like He does. We begin to see like He sees, hear like He hears, take on more of His character and likeness. Because the vine and the branches are one. In John chapter 15 verses 9 to 17, the verses following the ones that I read, tell us that the defining fruit of a life lived in close relationship to Jesus is love. (laughs) Now, I was struggling to write this section most of all. I don't know what that says about me as a person. (laughs) but I was going to write on truth and love and the dynamics of challenge and invitation in a post-Christian culture which honestly is still a really cool topic and I'm going to just take that opportunity as a quick plug for BDC because that's a lot of what we learn about and a lot of what's been most transformational for me in going in that process over the last couple of years but then I had this chance encounter with a Muslim woman who needed to know the hope of Jesus and suddenly loving had a name and a face. In the gospels, Jesus consistently and repeatedly goes after the one. The one lost sheep, the one Samaritan woman, the one prodigal son. Luke chapter 15 verse 7 tells us that heaven rejoices more over one sinner who repents over one person who is welcomed home to Jesus than over 99 righteous churchgoers who feel they've got it all together and don't need to repent. And so as our workplaces, homes, friendship circles and news feeds become more and more secular and the crazy swirls around us, Jesus says, do not fear, I've got you. I want you to look for the one. Eyes and ears open, we must listen to the Spirit Tune into what the Spirit is doing. Where has the Holy Spirit gone ahead of us, making a way? In every workplace, every neighbourhood, I dare say every family, there will be people of peace. The work of the Holy Spirit is not confined to a church, an institution, or even a particular religion. From, bike, from bikey gangs to Muslim mosques, from meeting a Cambodian student on the plane to inviting my neighbours over for coffee to sharing the Gospel with an LGBT activist at the train station. All conversations I've had, the Holy Spirit is present, stirring up hunger, speaking to hearts and calling people home. And He invites us to join in. Now guys, I may be an evangelist, I can't run from that by this point. <laughs> but I'm also kind of an introvert. <laughs> my, and my success stories have been littered with just as many challenges and failures. There's been plenty of pruning alongside the fruit, I can tell you. I still get anxiety more often than not when I'm meeting new people. Hey everyone. Uh, <laughs> or I'm alone in, cl- in crowds and public places. But do you know where all of this started? Not with my giftedness, but with a willingness to listen and say yes to God's call to love the one in Jesus' name. Imagine if we all did. When we picture evangelism, when we picture revival, when we picture church growth, what do we picture? Do we picture it as someone else's responsibility? Do we picture it as the pastor's job or the preacher's job or the evangelist's job? Who's doing this? Is this something we hunger for? Are we willing to join in? Because I can evangelise to these people. That's one to five, right? And then I won't have time to follow up with all of them every week. Like, But imagine if each of us pursued the one or listened to Jesus already pursuing the one. One plus one plus one plus one plus one plus one this is how the early church grew this is how the early church ended up being the head of the roman empire because every day ordinary christians were willing to talk to the one to pursue the one there were no professional people who were taking responsibility for all of this at the expense of everyone else. More than that, in our, in our current day and age, the typical Christian in the first decades of this millennium is not us. It's actually a non-white, non-affluent, non-northern person, as in non-Western, often more often female than male. And you know what? Church growth in the majority world is going viral. And you know what they do? They do this. They do this. One plus one plus one plus one plus one plus one. Imagine if we all did. Now, the 2019 Barna Connected Generation Study surveyed 27,000 young adults around the world. 50% 50% of young adults who aren't followers of Jesus were shown to have a negative view of the church. However, when these same young adults were asked, what do you think of the Christians that you know? Over 85% use positive and warm descriptions. So might still be running through at your, your mind at this point. Taylor, you've already said you're an evangelist. What about me? Why should I care? Like, why, why should I get involved in this? What's the point? All right. Melinda Dwight, the head of Alpha, she has been part of promoting this research. Past research has indicated that 49% of Australians have never had a spiritual conversation. It's not that sinking. It's just... COVID however 4 out of 5 Australians are open to spiritual conversations which may involve views other than their own and this is even higher among young people the younger generation I was listening to a Tim Keller sermon this week on spiritual experience and he was also saying like, the, the time that we're in spiritual hunger is rising people are wanting this, they are hungry for it and we are called to feed the hungry the spiritually hungry So take your five loaves, take your two fishes and give them to Jesus. Friends, you may be the only Bible or in Jesus' name, perhaps the first Bible that your friends ever read. So who is your plus one? Who is your person of peace? Final part of remaining lead missional goals define culturally engaged leaders as believers who are called and equipped for vocational leadership who know the times and live for Christ to do this effectively requires an element of maturity there's no running from that there's no substitute for remaining in the vine being nourished and nurtured and pruned and finally producing good fruit that takes time so if you're here today and this all sounds a little overwhelming relax but I hope it also inspires. Because one common feature of culturally engaged leaders is this. They dig deep into the vine and they lead with what they've got, while remaining constantly open to learning and growth. Now, I was thinking this week, what's the difference, what is a leader? What is a leader? I've been asked this question recently and I realised I couldn't answer it. What's the difference between a leader and a follower? And what I came up with is a leader goes first and a good leader keeps going. A good Christian leader has learned how to remain. She knows when to work and she knows when to rest and she knows when to persist and press in in the face of challenge, failure, failure and setback because friends, leading in the post-Christian context takes courage because if the biggest barrier to listening is noise the biggest barrier to love is fear so if your heart is beating and your pulse is racing as I talk about evangelism if there's a little voice in your head saying that's good for you Taylor but God could never use me if there's an attempt to theologically justify why you were not called to share your faith going on in your mind right now, that's fear. That's fear. Welcome to the club. Because to lead courageously means to feel the fear and do it anyway. Drawing from the vine and returning to Jesus as our source of life again and again and again. Because I've found this to be true in my own life. We never experience the presence of Jesus more powerfully than when we put ourselves where He did. On the border of comfortable, on the edge of the expected, going to the margins, going to the poor, going to the least of these, going to the ones that no one would ever take a second look at and welcoming them in. And so I believe, church, our call is not just loving, but loving in Jesus' name. We're not just evangelising, because if you're evangelising without love, you're doing it wrong. But we're also not just loving, because when we take our love and we do it in Jesus' name, something powerful happens. The most loving thing we can do is point a person to Him. That's why the organization we support, Compassion International, is such a powerful witness because they not only pour out their lives for these children, but they do it in Jesus' name. What if we did the same? So, where has God placed you? What are your five loaves and your two fishes? What does He put in your hands? Are you a student? teacher, politician or preacher, a believer, a leader, an astronaut, a champion or truth seeker. Because at the end of the day, the deepest joy of those united to Christ is not to be found in the hall of fame. And I hope you got that reference. (laughs) It's to be found in intimacy with him. So as we come to a close, there are three steps of remaining in post-Christian culture. The first is to listen and allow God to speak to us, to remain. The second is to love. Next slide. Here we go. <laughs> this isn't something we strive to do. It's an outpouring of this life, this devotion, this remaining that we've already got with Jesus because loving is who he is. And then the third step is to lead when my love and your love is poured out in front of the world for all to see, God is glorified. This is not just about us as individuals. This is about us as a community. This is about us as a church. This is about us as a city, a nation. If every person in Australia were to listen to God, were to pour out their love to their friends and family and neighbours and to unashamedly keep doing that in the name of Jesus day after day after today, imagine what the impact would be. Imagine what the impact would be. says, this is to my father's glory, not ours. It's for him, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So to close, let me tell a few stories of people who brought glory or bring glory to God in the way they choose to listen, love and lead. People who did what they could with what they had in their hands. Most aren't evangelists, but all let their light shine. There are activists theologians, teachers, high school students, and Tylers. Like a piggy bank, these heroes kept putting their one little coin in the bank day after day after day. Daily, they chose to listen to God, love others, and courageously lead wherever God has placed them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer chose to listen to the needs of his time. in Germany in 1906, he lived through both world wars. Bonhoeffer was a key leader in the German Confessing Church, who stood in firm in allegiance to Christ as the National Church sold its soul, confessing allegiance to and endorsing the Nazi Party. Bonhoeffer fled to New York, but after two weeks of safety, he returned. Overcome with love for his people, he wrote, "I have, I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people." Vincent Linari, a true Australian hero, Linari listened to the cries of his people and chose to lead leading 200 Gurindji people in peaceful protest on a walk-off from the Wave Hill cattle station in the Northern Territory. His love for his people led him to persist in an eight-year-long campaign, which finally led to the moment captured by this photo. Prime Minister Gough Whitlam pouring red dirt into Linyari's hands in 1975, representing the return of stolen Gurindji land rights. If you've never heard this story and only know the From Little Things, Big Things Grow song from the Industry super funds ad, I can't do it properly with a microphone, you need to listen to it, especially as we approach January 26th. This is part of our Australian history. However, Linear did not lead in his own strength. Lesser known still is the role his Christian faith played in giving him the courage to listen, love and lead closer to home. Lisa Hunter. (laughs) I'm going to majorly embarrass her. Yeah, give her a cheer. (laughs) But I had the privilege of working with Lisa for nearly two years at Endeavour College where she and I both taught. Over this time, I witnessed Lisa's willingness to wear her faith on her sleeve day in, day out, to listen, love and quietly encourage students and staff in the way of Jesus. More than that, she does her job well leads with integrity and lets her life speak true homegrown example of a culturally engaged leader who would not have let me said this if i told her i was going to (laughs) he listens loves and leads At the same school, I also witnessed the faith and courage of the student ministry team, a small group of Christian students, but seriously unmatched in their courage and passion. The willingness of these students to get up and lead chapels, engage in worship and wear their faith on their sleeve, even when it was met with indifference or even outright mockery from their peers was a true inspiration to me. They taught me how to listen, love and lead. Finally, my grandfather. A tough as nails German with a rough and ready past. He came to faith later in life. His reputation became his testimony. A Tyler by trade, he could be found sitting on an upturned bucket of grout, listening to God and reading his Bible in his lunch break. Always willing to help somebody out, I remember getting stuck on countless occasions as he talked to neighbor, friend and stranger in what in hindsight was most probably an evangelistic conversation. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that he prayed for his granddaughter every day of her life. Now friends, as we hear these stories, I hope that we can catch a glimpse of ourselves in them. I hope we can catch a glimpse of ourselves as students, teachers, tilers, workers, wherever, nurses, like wherever God has placed you. I hope you can see that he's not beyond using you or using me. But at the end of the day, also, we can't do any of this. We can't do any of this. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. so friends, as we sit here today, as we hear these words, I pray that the Holy Spirit is beginning to speak into your hearts a willingness, a hunger, a desire to let God write His story in and through your lives. He is longing to do that work. He is longing to use you. You are not beyond His reach. Every person here is here for a reason. And God is longing to to so the place where we need to begin. I believe the place where God is leading us today is on our knees with a simple prayer. Holy Spirit, come and use me. Use me. Use me. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, EncounterAdelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.